Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow. I'm Jeff Robson. This show deals with music, mental illness, and the mess that COVID-19 has made of it all. I'm coming to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This is not a professionally and perfectly produced podcast with a big team behind it. You'll have to forgive some imperfections because it's just me in my basement talking to you and my guests about things that I think are important and interesting. This week's show will contain frank and open discussions of mental illness, suicide, and related topics. If these topics might be difficult for you to hear about, I urge you to get help right away. The right help can and will change your life. There's a section on the show's website at flywithyourshadow.com where you can find some organizations and resources that can and will help you. You can also reach out to me anytime at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com if you want to talk or need suggestions for where to turn. You should call 911 right away if you or someone you know is in immediate danger or needs urgent medical care. Don't wait. If someone's in crisis, you need to act immediately. Always take a suicide threat or fear very seriously. you've heard so far, the name of the show and much of its inspiration comes from a singer-songwriter named John Bottomley. In 1995, Bottomley released an album called Blackberry, which remains one of my very favorite albums of all time. It's been a source of comfort and inspiration to me for more than 25 years. The song you just heard was called You Lose and You Gain, and it was John Bottomley's biggest hit and the one that introduced many of us to his music. 1995 was also a year that I had no intention of making it through. My mind was as troubled as it's ever been, and I felt no hope or joy, so I wanted to end my life, and I spent a lot of time planning that, but I'm thankful every day that I failed at that one. It's no exaggeration to suggest that Bottomley's album helped keep me here. After that album, John Bottomley kind of slipped off the public radar, but continued to make great records and write great songs. But like many people, I really wasn't aware of them. It wasn't until 2011 that I really became reacquainted with John Bottomley's more recent music. I'd heard that he'd released a new album called The Healing Dream, and I reached out to him and said that I was interested in playing the album on my music show, Tell the Band to Go Home. He was kind enough to send me a copy of the album to play. Shortly after I got it, on March 8, 2011, John sent me an email with a review of the new album. For reasons I'll never understand, I didn't write him back. Less than a month later, on April 6th, John ended his life. When I first heard that he died and didn't know how, I was devastated. But when I found out more about what had happened, it really knocked the wind out of me. Somehow the guy who comforted me in my darkest hours had been struggling in the same way as I had, and I had no idea. I wish that I could have known and could have helped. I've lost more people to suicide since then, and every time I felt like there was something I should have done to help. Eventually, that desire to help someone somehow led me here and to this show. John Bottomley's music means a lot to me, and he directly inspired me to create this show. But I never knew the guy. I never even saw him in concert. I wanted to know more about him, and I hoped I could come to understand more about why he died the way he did. Unfortunately, suicide deaths are the hardest ones to understand and come to terms with. There are no easy answers. 
I did, however, get a lot of great information about John from this week's guest. Chris Bottomley here, and uh, I'm a bass player, uh, singer-songwriter who, who lives in Toronto. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I come from a rock and roll background, but uh, I also write, you know, funk songs, reggae songs, folk songs, experimental stuff, instrumentals and whatnot. And uh, I've been playing uh, live for, you know, last uh, 30 years, so over the place uh, in Canada and other places and uh, just working on a, on a new record now. Chris Bottomley is a fabulous bass player, singer, and songwriter. He's released albums on his own, as well as with a collective known as Brain Fudge. His diverse style incorporates elements of jazz, funk, reggae, rock and roll, and a whole bunch more. In the mid-1980s, Chris and his brother John Bottomley came to prominence with their band Tulpa. They officially released one album called Mosaic Fish. It's pretty experimental, edgy stuff compared to what John did later on. You can hear a great deal of Tulpa music as well as Chris's solo work at his website, chrisbottomley.com. And you can buy that Tulpa album as well as many of Chris's on Bandcamp. Enough from me. It's time to hear the chat that I had with Chris Bottomley at the end of 2020. So I wanted to talk to you, uh, really, uh, really wanted to talk to you today uh, to get a bit of insight into your brother, John, who uh, has had such a huge effect on me. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work. Uh, I, I heard the, I heard the, his stuff in 1995 when Blackberry came out. And, uh, so that oh, was, that, that was my introduction to John and it's, it, it remains a record that I can't, I can't go very long without listening to that record. Um, and, uh, I, I just love everything yeah. that he's done, but that was, that was kind of the, uh, you know, the pinnacle. Yeah. That's what hooked me in for sure. And I yeah, think it's he's... a great record, man. It's my fave too. Uh, can you tell me a bit about growing up with John? Like, what was that? Yeah, like, were you guys I super mean, close and stuff? Yeah, I mean, John. I mean, we were Air Force brats, right? I don't know if you knew that. My my dad was in the Air Force, and so we lived all over the place. And I mean, you know, we were all very close as kids. My dad got us playing soccer at an early age, so we we played sports together and. We took piano lessons together and, and, you know, we, we just, we all grew up together and, and, uh, and then John and I, you know, we were playing in, in bands in Germany and then, uh, basically it was, it was kind of a cool upbringing, just, you know, moving all over the place. And, and, uh, we had our, our, our music, you know, we always had piano to practice and that sort of thing. And, yeah. And and that just led to other things from there. And what was it that drew you guys to music? Are your parents musical, or was this just something that they felt you should do? Or yeah, well, my mom, uh, she she studied piano when she was young, and uh, she was a piano teacher. So it was ba- we owe it to her basically. She got us both into piano. Oh, nice. Uh, when we were living in England, and we lived in England as kids, and so when we were there, we had our first lessons, and uh, you know. Um, and and basically wherever we we went we just had different piano teachers 
and then you just like I know when I was a kid and I took music lessons, I I I it, it was work for me, and I I eventually stopped. But but you guys uh, just just loved it and just couldn't well, stop playing music. Is that how it worked? Well, no. It, to, to be honest with you, it was work, and but I think it was more work for John. I I had a maybe a, a quicker aptitude for it mm-hmm. um, than he did. Um, John was good, but he you know he 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 had to work at stuff you know even even learning guitar and that sort of thing you know so it sometimes it comes easier to some people than others i guess right yeah and then at what point did you guys get into get interested in making your own music how did that come about well john and i started playing rock and roll in in west germany um we we were mostly doing cover songs we we weren't writing songs at all in those days uh, it wasn't until we moved to toronto in 1979 78 79 that uh we started writing our own stuff because i mean at that point we just realized that's the only way you're going to get somewhere in music mm-hmm. is if you write original music so we had our you know, we'd already been playing cover songs for about five years right so yeah we thought well what the heck we we better start branching out and you know in our own crude simple way we we started booking sessions at different studios when we you know around 1980 when after the first year that we got to Toronto and then, uh, you know, and it just got better from there. Basically we were, we were just very determined to, to become good at, you know, playing our instruments and mm-hmm. singing and writing good tunes, you know? Mm-hmm. So the band that I know about and, and many people do was, was Tulpa. John and I were just doing things before that. Um, we, we had a bunch of guys we were playing with up in North York in Toronto in our first year, Alex Radiff, who actually plays in a band in Toronto called Donkey. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was one of the first guys that we played with. Um, we were just doing small gigs up up there in northern Toronto. We we didn't start getting really really serious about it until see I I moved downtown and I started going to Ryerson University right uh-huh. and John went to Fanshawe College in London, but he quit that after a year, and then he moved back to Toronto and and that's when I met Mike Severin the drummer Tulpa in Toronto and John joined us. And that's when we started Tulpa and we started becoming serious songwriters from there on in. Basically mm-hmm. we spent every, every waking hour thinking about music and, and trying to get a show together and that sort of thing. So how long did that band last? It lasted about seven years. Like really? we started around 81, 82. We went to like 88, 89. Wow. Early 89. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, we basically had about, you know, uh, six, six, seven years of really good stuff. The last two years weren't weren't as good, you know. And is that is that kind of how it ended? It just uh, kind of petered out. It, it wasn't really working anymore, or or why did that band? Well, John, John and I were were sort of having some disagreements about musical direction, and mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't. I mean, Mike Severin, the original Tulpa drummer, when when we were with him, it was the most cohesive. I mean, that was Tulpa to me was. John and I and Mike Severin, mm-hmm. right? That was the, and, and that was together for like six years. And then we let Mike go uh, because, you know, we were having some problems. And uh, and then Glenn Milcham from Blue Rodeo played with us for a year. And uh, and then he started playing with Blue Rodeo. And after him, Great Bob Scott came and played for a year. But 
So the the second the, those were great years with with uh, Glenn and Bob, but it didn't have the same focus as it did with Mike. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those were the glory years. Those are the glory years for us. Is when Mike was in the band. Yeah. It was a different kind of chemistry. And do you, do you feel like uh, that that band accomplished all that it could have or should have, or is it something that you know you kind of wish that there'd been more? Um, no, I, I I wish we had done more. Um, I think both. John and I and Mike, the three of us all, we were really ambitious and determined and we wanted to do a lot. We wanted to break into the States and Europe and stuff like that. And really the reason we stopped was just because of money. I mean, we just didn't have the money to keep it going. Right, we, yeah. we didn't have a deal. We didn't have a deal at the time. Right. We, we did everything on our own. We always just we produced our own music, you know, came up with the funds and then just licensed out the labels. Right. Yeah. Right. So we didn't have a, a, a label we were signed to. It was always just licensing deals. And we didn't really have a lot of dough at the time. And we and we were doing we were self-managed. Right. So. OK. Just getting, just getting the, the 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 volume of work to keep going. Yeah. And and uh, and also, I mean, by the by the end, with just the changes in sort of writing and direction and stuff like that. I mean, bands usually only stay together for about five years. Yeah, you know what I mean? For, yeah, absolutely. Most of the time. So we had a good five or six years where it was really really intense, and and we were determined to really take over the world. We're, we were pretty idealistic. And, yeah. Um, you know, like we, we love being on tour. We were always kind of bummed out every time we came back to Toronto because we wanted to be out there touring. Right. It's like, oh, we don't have any more gigs. We got to go back to Toronto. Uh, <laughs> damn, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I, 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 I can tell you, Jeff, though, that the feeling that I had and that we had in that band is, is nothing like it. Like, I'll, I'll never have that exact feeling again, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some great music that's come out of it. I, I really love that you have a lot of it up at your website where people can go and listen to some of that stuff. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Um, I, I tried to make it as, uh, you know, comprehensive as possible um, in terms of, you know, the Tulpa history stuff that, that's there. Yeah. And, you know, my catalog, I'm going to be putting up a bunch of live stuff um, from like, you know, 20 years of live gigs up, up there over the next few months too. So we're just, you know, just going to keep, you know, putting good stuff out there for people to, to enjoy, you know? Um, and then you guys just kind of went your own ways with your own solo careers after the band fizzled out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, John initially wanted me to play with him at the beginning of his solo career. Like, I, I mean, I, I didn't want it for Tulpa to break up basically. Right. right. Yeah. So when John went solo, it was just kind of, it just felt weird to kind of just do the same thing in a way for me. Yeah. Like I, I, I felt like if you're going to go that route, um, best thing to do is just do it on your own for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be weird going from a partner to kind of working for him, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, John, John came to me with an offer. He wanted me to play for him, but I was just kind of like, you know, I was like, you know, um, but the thing is a lot like, some of the songs on John's first record are actually Tulpa songs, right? Like right. she lay down by the water. That's a Tulpa song uh, in solitude. That's a Tulpa song that was recorded at Grand Avenue studios. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so basically the agreement that we had was, you know, rather than those songs sitting there and never being released, 
on a Tulpa record that mm. we should put him on John's record. Um, so, and in that way, I was, I was still on, on the first record of his, which was nice. You know, I, I yeah. appreciated that. Um, and, and, and it was just better for him to do his thing. And, and we rejoined later on, like I, I played on his Blackberry tour, right. With, in the band with Colin Linden and, 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 uh, Gary Craig and, and, uh, Richard Bell. Yeah. That must've been amazing. It was actually, it was, <laughs> it was really amazing. It was great playing with Colin. Um, like I'd never played with him before. He's, he's got some great live, uh, stuff, great, great guitar sounds yeah but he pulls out of the hat and um and you know gary uh, and sean kilbride was also playing some drums um we we did this um the the funnest gig we did on that tour it was just a mini tour like seven or eight shows around ontario kind of thing in quebec and we did this show in uh, Morin heights with uh bare naked ladies and philosopher kings out, outside and it was great it was like you know ten thousand people and and uh you know john had had that you lose your gain right he had yeah. that that hit out there yeah. and, and uh, it was just great it was just that was just the highlight of the whole thing you know so as he was off doing his doing his own thing like did that affect your relationship as brothers or were you guys still still close the way you used to be or not really, no. I mean, during that time, I, I didn't really see him that much. Yeah. I was kind of doing my own thing anyways. Um, he, during that time, he also moved out to Vancouver, right? I mean, John was going through a lot of changes. He, he was uh, separating from his, his, uh, his partner, and uh, Tulpa was breaking up, right? So there was a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of changes, a lot of growth, and... Uh, and and uh i was just in my own zone living in parkdale basically right. yeah <laughs> doing my thing I, I was struggling with how do i become uh the best songwriter i can be at that time because i mean john and i tulpa was was john and i writing songs together and so when you know it was just like oh my god what am i gonna do man how am i gonna write songs on my own right yeah so it was me finding my legs really and i it was just sort of concentrating on that and and i think john felt the same way too because he, he you know he had a label and everything but yeah. you know he's, he's still like oh my god i'm on my own like I've, I've had mike you know these tulpa guys around for the last eight years you know so it's a bit daunting but also really freeing you know so did you have to work to 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 try to do stuff that didn't sound like that band for yourself? Like, did you did you work to carve out your own thing apart from what you had been known for? I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the top of songwriting, we we went through a lot of different trajectories. We we just kept writing and writing and writing over the years, and our stuff was constantly changing. Like, there's a lot of stuff that didn't end up on records that we wrote that's pretty good. Yeah. Some There's a lot of recordings out there that we've, we've never put out there, right? Like, there's there's still some stuff that I'm trying to get up to snuff to put on the website. Right. And and uh, so, um, because I'm a bass player, I, I, I kind of write different than, than John was writing anyways. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I started, I mean, we both come from rock and roll, right? Yeah, we we grew up with the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Pink Floyd and and all that great you know European British stuff and whatnot and 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 so basically as a bass player though I wanted to sort of I was getting tired of rock and roll to tell you the truth you know I was like okay another guitar you know so I started I mean I I saw Bob Marley at the Maple Leaf Gardens right when it, right before he died on his last tour so that was a big cultural shift for me 
musically started listening to tons of reggae during that time and and also a lot of you know um jazz music from america and soul music and stuff like that funk music right so that was bound to come out in in my early stuff and i I, i'm just more comfortable with that so in a way it was a conscious break from tulpa um you know that way too it's just uh it's like okay i'm not doing the experimental king crimson influenced (laughs) stuff anymore do you know what i mean with the weird time signatures yeah oh although i love that stuff it's really a lot of fun but it's just time to just time to break out of that a bit and go explore over here for a while so did you guys ever feel like you were competing against each other as solo artists or anything like that um not no not as solo artists, but maybe in Tulpa as writers and stuff like that. There was always there's always a bit of sibling rivalry going on. That pushes you to be better though, right? I would think if if it, you're it, it yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it, it, we were always pushing ourselves to be better. I mean the way we, we wrote was just basically, okay, you know, I'll bring a I'll bring this in and you you bring this in if you're okay, you got a bridge, oh I'm stuck. If you have a bridge, yeah, okay, I got a bridge, okay, that's the bridge. You know, it was a very cooperative effort and, and uh but it, it's kind of like you just do what you can, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you just do what you can and keep going. So did you guys see each other a lot over the years, uh, kind of after you went solo? For the first the first couple albums, I didn't really see John that much until Blackberry, right? Yeah. Uh, he was out in Vancouver. Then we did that tour. And then we were always in touch after that for the most part. Um, you know, always on the phone you know every few months talking about stuff or whatever right yeah but like i would go out to vancouver i was you know i stayed at john's place out there for eight months once uh, and uh we we did some gigs together out there it's just small sort of acoustic style stuff right and um so yeah and then and then of course we had that tulpa reunion i don't know if you knew we had a tulpa reunion that must have been fun to kind of get that back together again it was and um it just kind of, you know, I didn't know if that it was really ever going to happen, you know, because it was like, okay, Tulpa was Tulpa. And that, but I think it, it, it just sort of came together. Like, um, you know, we, we had been talking to Mike Severin um, about it. And um, at first of all, we, we, we didn't know how to approach it quite because we, we had two or three drummers. Right. So we just thought, okay, we'll get, we'll get Mike. Mike will play drums. But we'll also get great Bob Scott on drums and then when when bob is drumming mike can play keyboards because mike plays keyboards also right oh yeah so that's kind of how we did the gig um and it was um we thought well the only way we can really do this is kind of just to have like gary top as the promoter you know what i mean so we get we got him on board and that's kind of how it was put together because we thought well we, at least we can get a good crowd here in toronto and that sort of thing with him him promoting the gig so that's pretty cool. So, and and was there a, was there a good reaction? Like, did did people were people excited to see the band again? Yeah, it was it was really fantastic, Jeff. Like, we were all blown away. Like, I'm, I mean, I knew we we knew that there would be some people there, but we didn't know there would be that many. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was a lot of lot of lot of people from the past. It was blast from the past that you hadn't seen in a long time in Toronto. <laughs> oh yeah, you. I can remember you. Where have you been? You know. Um, it was just fantastic. We had a really, really good night, um, and we wanted to keep going. Actually, I mean, before John died, um, a few months before he died, him and I were on the phone talking about do, doing a new Tulpa record, right? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. We we decided to just come up with three good songs each, and then to send those to each other, 
and then just take it from there. The thing is, after the show in Toronto, Gary Gary Top was saying, "I think you guys should keep going," you know. Yeah. And we all felt we all felt the same way. Like we we just wanted to get back together because John and I had both kind of come full circle and matured as songwriters. So I think we were just kind of curious about what we could come up with together again without any, you know, Topo was never about any kind of preconceived notions about what kind of music we should play. It's just like, look, okay, we come from rock and roll, you know, Mike comes from rock and roll and progressive rock. Um, Let's just put something together and see what happens. And that's what happened. It just became this, this wild, wild, crazy thing, the Tulpa circus, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of humor in there too. Yeah, so I guess I guess the obvious kind of elephant in the room is uh so so John died was that uh was that unexpectedly? Did you guys know that he was in a bad place? What what happened there? No, not really. I mean, I I can I mean, what I can tell you Jeff is that I mean, the last time I spoke to John was about 3 months before he died on the phone and this is the conversation we had about, you know, doing the Tulpa record and stuff, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I mean, at, at, when I was talking to him, he was he was a bit uh, feeling a bit down and out, and and I think that was why he phoned me. But it's not there was nothing really specific about you know um, why he was feeling down. I think um, you know like like everybody else, he was probably struggling with some aspects of his career and yeah. um, and other things. You know, maybe some personal stuff that I. I don't know about and still don't know about to this day in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions for you then? Well, yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and I think some of those questions will, will probably be never be answered. And that that's just the nature of, 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 you know, of, uh, taking your own life really. You know what I mean? I really like do. It's, uh, uh, I think it's the, it's the hardest death to come to terms with. Out of anything, accident, you know, cancer, whatever it is, I th- I think it's easier to come to terms with those things than this, and I think, I think it it ends up causing the most problems, in the end for for a lot of people. Well, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's not not one person that was unaffected by it, you know, yeah. including yourself, right? Like, yeah, close family members, you know, his son, like, just it's been difficult for a lot of people. It still is difficult uh for for me you know certain days certain times and uh um you know uh it's I, it, it's weird because i at the time that it was happening i i was in a better place with it than i am now you know what i mean it's yeah. so strange how, how grief works yeah. in a lot of ways it's just so strange and you, you have no control over the cycles of how you feel about things especially regarding you know suicide and stuff like that right yeah, it's, yeah. You, you're reminded of things and or you could get triggered you know whatever yeah. so i mean i mean for me it, it's just i i just try to to be in a good place with it and and just you know re- really appreciate uh having been able to play with them and and being his brother you know that's basically what i take away in 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 a in the good positive way right yeah it's so weird it's it's so hard to like i never met john i don't even think i ever saw him in concert and uh and weirdly, coincidentally, I'd never, co- I'd never corresponded with him at, at all until about a month before he died, less than a month before he died, actually. 
Um, I had, uh, I had heard that he had a new record and I just sent this email and said, Hey, if you want to send me a copy and if you're ever out this way, you know, I'd love to love to meet you and all that. And he sent, sent a nice email back and, you know, I, I, I felt really good about it. And then less than a month later, I, I heard about this and even though I didn't know him, it just, it brought up such, such sadness and grief for me. And I think I went through a lot of the things that that people do in these situations. Like maybe I should have sent him another email or maybe I should have done this or that, and maybe it would have helped, but you never really know, do you? And it, it, it seems so irrational now, but I think these are the things that we go through when, when we hear that somebody has, has taken their own life. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it was, like I say, a shock, like it was a shock to me. It was a shock to our whole family, right? It was a shock to you. It was a shock to a lot of people. I, yeah. I had no warning. There was no, Oh, you know, like John, it's, it was completely out of character. Really? So he had no yeah, history of mental illness or anything like that? No, 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 not at all. Really? And not in a million years would I have thought that John would have done something like that. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, John, John was, a, he was an artist. I mean, they have highs and lows, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like he's human, right? It's, well, it I must mean, be especially I, hard when you don't see it coming or you, or you don't know that. You know, that's, that's the, that's where he's headed. Well, that's that. I think these are the things that uh, people grapple with when they, they lose a, a close one, you know, close loved one to suicide, right? Like mm-hmm. these, these are the things that we grapple with. These are the kind of questions that we grapple with in the aftermath of, of stuff. Like, could I have done something different or, yeah. you know, um, you know, so, I mean, you just have to go through some soul searching and, and, and try to come to a good place about all that stuff. You know, I know that there's been some, some kind of, uh, problems behind the scenes, I guess we'll say, uh, on the family front as a result, it did, did it tear people apart or did it, did it cause, you know, great divisions and. Well, yeah, it did for sure. It, it tore a lot of people apart and I, I'm not really going to get into the details yeah, about yeah. that stuff because it's not, I mean, it, I don't know. A lot of it's just bullshit to tell you the truth. And, 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 um, it, it, but it's, it's unfortunate, you know, that that stuff went down, but I, what I realized, and I, I mean, I, I, I know prior experience with, you know, lose, losing someone close to me like that, even mm-hmm. suicide. But what I realized is that when, when people die, that some people get really weird and you know like grief can cause people to do really weird things you know <laughs> yeah that is out of sure. character and spiteful things and, and yeah you know not always good things and and you might be really taken aback by those things and you're like okay but one you know i i just realized that the the greedy ones are the first out of the gate you know what i mean yeah, so yeah, yeah like this kind of thing so um you know, without, you know, being too negative about stuff like that, I mean, it did, um, it caused a, a problem and, and, uh, we're still trying to work it out, you know, yeah. but I can't tell you that, you know, we, we have a great relationship with, uh, John's son, Levon. Yeah. I was going to ask you about him because he was fairly young when John died, was he? Teenage yeah, he was, yeah, he was a minor. Yeah. He was a minor and, and, um, he, you know, it, you know, it it really affected him. He, yeah. you know, he was young. He didn't really know how to deal with it. I'm sure, like you know, and still, and I still think, you know, it's very difficult 
for him oh, yeah. to accept a lot of the stuff that that happened as a result of that too. For sure. And, and so, you know, but um, you know, uh, we have a great relationship with Levon, and, and Levon, Levon and I, we we talk regularly, you know, about his dad, about his music, and stuff like that. And yeah. we're, you know, we're trying to get some kind of, you know, retrospective together and and uh, keep keep stuff going, you know. That would be so good. It's it's something that's been like his music is so hard to find. Like uh, I realized recently that you can download a whole bunch of them from iTunes, but you can't stream it anywhere. And you can't. I use I, I bought yeah. a bunch of CDs from CD Baby a while ago, but but CD Baby's gone. So a lot of his music yeah. is kind of unless you know where to look for it, it's it's yeah. tragically hard to find. So a retrospective or something is, uh, in my yeah. opinion, long overdue. Well, there's a reason for that, Jeff, and part of it is that because his estate is in dispute, and right. you know we yeah. we we have to seek permission from other people in order to put stuff out, and oh. we don't want them, we don't want them making any money off yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically. So, and you know, in terms of the rights, um, they're they're in dispute, and you know we're we're trying to fight it. Basically, you know, we're 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 trying to get the gumption together to. Uh, to deal with the court system again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry you had to go through all that and it uh, continues to, to be such a mess. It's uh, it certainly doesn't well, make it easier, any easier. Well, I know. And, and, the, and the thing is, is a lot of it was completely unnecessary and, and stupid, you know? Yeah. So, so I mean, but whatever, you know, I can, I can play John songs live in my set. Great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, but that's how I keep his his legacy going. We we know that he's a he's a really good songwriter and and it's but it's unfortunate, like you say, that you can't find his stuff uh, very many places. Yeah, it's, and we're it's, we're we're trying to change that, but we basically we need to meet a rich person who's a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It yeah. all just comes down to money at this point. Yeah. You know, it's all about money. And and uh, you know, and things change, like the you know, life's a fluid situation, right? So sure, yeah. You know, we're trying to make stuff more available. It's just we have to go through some legal hurdles in order to do so right now. Right. So Levon, and we've been talking about what what we want to do and yeah. how we're going to go about it. Do you want to talk about a bit about your music these days? What's your musical life like? Well, you know, the live gigs have gone down to nothing. Really? COVID Why is that? Yeah, <laughs> we, we can't we can't play live. <laughs> so that's been a bit of a bummer. You know, I haven't had a gig for nine months. And yeah. I'm not really that comfortable with doing the, the video to Facebook or Instagram thing. Cause that, I mean, I need a band. I'm a bass player. I need a band, right? It takes a certain kind of person to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I play guitar too. I, I, I could play my songs on guitar. That's how I write them. But the thing is, is I, my, the, my live thing is, is basically as strong as the people that I play with. Right? right. Like I need a sax player and I, I need all these other instruments to kind of, make it work you know energetically speaking so so uh i'm not doing the the video thing but i'm doing like I, i've been working on a new record so you know in in the spring i was recording like crazy um when covid first hit then i had a bit of a lull for a while i would um and i've been back at it um in the last couple of months um trying to finish stuff off i'm at i've done most of the vocals and stuff i'm at the point where i'm going to add drums and horn section now Basically, this record is like a, it's a return to my rock roots. The oh, songs really? are, they're a lot simpler. They're, yeah, there's, 
there's some ballads even and um it's interesting though it's 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 pretty cool i'm pretty happy about it so far yeah because like you alluded to before you've done such diverse things in your uh in your catalog so yeah i just want to keep just keep uh growing as an artist you know like yeah. as a songwriter basically i mean i i i i'm I, I come from rock and roll, so I mean it's not a straight-ahead rock and roll record. There's some rock tunes, and there's there's going to be a bit of funk and you know reggae stuff on it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, it's different though, just in terms of simplicity. It's it's not as dense in terms of the instrument. There's more space in it. Um, you know, like this record, I I didn't start off with bed tracks live off the floor in the studio because of COVID, we couldn't do that, right? Yeah. So basically, um, I I. I wrote a lot of the guitar and laid guitar and voice down as bed, bed tracks and then just added bass. And now I'm going to add drums on top of it now. That's kind of the other thing we talk about a lot on this show is, is kind of how the pandemic has affected people. And uh, so when things, when things ground to a halt, obviously it sounds like you, you made some lemonade here. You, you spent some time making this record that now you can be proud of, but uh but how much of a, a change did your life go through? Like how much is playing live a part of, you know, your, your regular life? Well, I mean, it's a big part of it because you're always thinking about the next gig, right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't at the time, I wasn't doing a lot of gigs every month, but they were, you know, special gigs that we were doing. We kind of just, you know, we weren't doing ones just for sake of gig and we wanted to sort of really hone in and 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 do the right kinds of gigs you know and bring yeah. in a big crowd i'd rather do that than be play a bunch of smaller smaller gigs you know um but it yeah it really put a wrench into things because you know i had i had festival gigs booked like the kitchener jazz and blues fest festival gig booked and yeah. all this other stuff was going on you know and and you're used to sort of being on that kind of treadmill i've been on that same treadmill for the last 20 30 years you yeah, know what yeah. i mean so that it, it was just put a wrench in there into everything. And I mean, all of a sudden it was like, well, even if you did want to go out and play a planet tour, you couldn't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, I was lucky because I didn't have a tour plan or something like I think, I think of people like, you know, Sarah Harmer had a whole tour planned in the States and stuff, you know, yeah. that got canceled. And, and she, it was her first record in, in yeah. many, many years. Too. Yeah. And, you know, and my, my cousin, Nate Coles, from Guelph was is the same thing. He 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 was like had all this stuff planned and was making this big push. So, you know, it's in a way maybe it was harder for indie artists because we don't have big teams and you know what I mean to for rely sure, on yeah. to push ourselves. We're doing it all our own and stuff. So yeah, it's been really disheartening. I got to tell you the truth. I mean, with the I mean that's major source of income, right? I mean yeah. we don't we're not making any money off the streaming universe, right? Yeah. It's, it's just an obscene. Uh, model of payment that these these streaming companies are basically digital gangsters. Let's face it, right? <laughs> it's awful. I I can't believe how uh, how exploitive is, those right? contracts are. It's 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 unbelievable. That it shouldn't even well, be uh, legal. Well, it's all backroom deals with the majors, right? Yeah. They got together. Oh, that's that's you know we'll 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 pay each other big money, but the, we'll just have a pool for the other people. Yeah. But no, none of that pool money really makes it down. You know, the old trickle down theory of economics, right? It's yeah. Like, okay, this isn't going to work. Did did you go through any periods where you were like, I don't know if music is gonna gonna be my thing anymore? Did you did you reevaluate any of that stuff, and or or has it caused oh, yeah. you to be even stronger in your resolve? No, oh, absolutely. I went through that, and I, I mean, I, 
I think every artist goes through that at various stages of their, of their career. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. but the thing is, it's in your blood. It's not like our, playing music is a lifestyle. It's not like something you do just yeah, for it's money something and you then you're not making do, right? money and then you quit. Yeah. yeah, it's not. Oh, I'm not making the money. I'm just going to quit now. It's not. And and the thing is, I'm a I'm a pretty tenacious, determined guy. Still, after all these years, and I I what I'm sort of into is songwriting, you know, I'm, I'm still into writing good songs and putting them out there. So if other p- people want to pick up those songs and record them for themselves, I'm okay with that. Um, this, the, uh, you know, the performing industry, I've always been a performer. So that's, that's a bit disheartening, but I know it's going to come back. And when it does come back, it's going to come back strong. And, and we're just going to, I'm just going to reinvent myself basically. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I'll, but I, I look forward to still just coming out there and and playing live because that it's just it's just such a thrill you know it's like you can't yeah. can't pass it up really you know yeah, yeah it's just uh, I guess now the big question is how many venues and and what do things look like and when when does that happen again? Well, you know, like all the all the big guys are you know are they just shifted everything to 2022 basically right yeah. like you know guys like jeff back and guys who are still on the touring circuit that's what they've been doing but yeah it's been weird uh it's it's been disheartening and weird and like i you know i, I rode my bike along college street yesterday you know through the west end there and like there's uh, everything's closed all these stores are closed it's yeah. like the, the great depression or something it feels really really i feel bad for so many people you know yeah. not just musicians I mean, it's like people who are running small businesses and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I actually just talked to Colin Linden recently about a lot of this stuff. And he said that, uh, that it, it's, it, it almost feels more important for him to, to be able to entertain people and stuff when, when he can, because he knows that what a part of other people's lives, his music is and, and what he can bring to yeah. others. So as much as he gets out of music, he knows that it's important to get out there and do it again for us as well. Well, that's it. I mean, it's, I just like in a, for me, almost m- music is kind of community service in some sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just giving yourself. And I mean, I, you're not expecting anything in return. If you make money, great. You know, you, you <laughs> yeah. all gotta, we all got to make a living. It would be but nice. It's, yeah. It's kind of like, it, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. It's, it's a spiritual thing too. I mean, it, it makes you feel good. And I, I, I know for a fact that if I'm not playing my instrument, you know, like for a few weeks, I start feeling really weird and depressed. So it's it's just this kind of this thing that you have to play and you you know, you have to have it in your life. You know what I mean? Or you don't feel good. You don't. It's just helps you relax. And I, I'm in my head too much if I don't play, you know. So I know it's I know it's hard to plan and it's hard to know what's going to happen. But w- do you have a timeline in mind for when we might hear this record? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to wrap up um, the mixes by springtime, basically, you know. So, I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, it's just right right now. It's kind of hard to get together. We're we're gonna try recording drums over the next couple of weeks and get some horns on stuff, and then we're ready to mix. So, it's really just you know uh, timing. Hopefully, I'll get it out by spring. Summer's a bit of a strange time to put a record out. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But with the COVID thing, it's it's all changed with the COVID thing because there won't be a summer touring schedule. People won't be touring. Yeah. So the release the release thing is really different, you know. But like I say, I'm hoping to have it wrapped up by by spring and, and get it out there. I, I don't like to spend too much time on these. I'm not Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm finicky when I make records, but not that finicky. It's been really great talking to you, Jeff. Um, 
it's it's uh, been nice to talk about John and his music and, and just music in general, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot to me to be able to talk about these things and especially to, to talk about a guy like John who's, uh, uh, I don't know, I just feel like he's just this uh, un, undiscovered gem. He's kind of like uh, not nearly well known enough. So any I know it's a strange thing. That's a strange thing, eh? That that John is it's he's kind of buried there somewhere. I don't know, and that's why, you know, it's like wow, no, he's got a lot of really good songs. Man. Oh, there's you know, like yeah. he, he he's uh, like he's a ma- magic realist writer, you know. Like yeah, he, he really he's really, and I I think we just keep playing his music, you know. Yeah, keep, for sure. Keep his stuff as best we can you know yeah and his last record the healing dream I, honestly that's you know my second favorite john bottomley record i i think it was a real it is, eh? a real return to what i loved about blackberry so much you know oh he's got like um some real gems on the healing dream like uh for the one i love i just love that tune and uh there's another one that I think is that for the one I love, I think is one of the best songs that John ever wrote in his life. It really is a gem, you know. Songbird strikes a note for the one I love. Swift wing flying home. I really want to thank Chris for providing a lot of information about his brother John and telling us more about himself. As mentioned off the top of the show, you can find a lot of great music and information on his website, chrisbottomley.com. Sadly, John's music is a little harder to find, but you can download a bunch of great albums on iTunes, including Blackberry and John's last record, The Healing Dream. I won't pretend to be able to diagnose John Bottomley, but his story sounds really similar to mine and those of a lot of other people struggling with a mental illness. Those illnesses come with a lot of fears and doubts, but one of the greatest fears is that other people will know that we're struggling. So people dealing with a mental illness or a mood disorder become great liars. We spend a lot of time hiding what's going on in our heads, which makes it really difficult for other people to help us. The problem is that our brains are lying to us all the time and convincing us that nobody wants to help, nobody cares, and it'll never get better. The stress of those messages and trying to hide what's really going on and the fear that others will find out, it often compounds and leads people to consider or go through with suicide. I hope this show can further the conversation about mood disorders and mental illness, but it's really up to you to help by being open and honest with the people around you and making sure that they know that they can do the same with you. It's also really important to check in on anyone you know who might be having a hard time, because the last thing that a person struggling really wants to do is call someone and admit that they have a problem. If any of this sounds like you or someone you know, I urge you to look into medical help. And visiting one of the great organizations listed on the show's website at Fly With Your Shadow could help a lot. I'd really appreciate it if you would share this episode with someone who might find it interesting. And if you're so inclined, leaving a review wherever you found the show would really help. We're now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and of course available at flywithyourshadow.com. I really appreciate everyone who had kind things to say about the first episode last week. If you missed it, please go back and listen to my chat with Leroy Stagger. 
I genuinely appreciate any comments and feedback that you might have about the show, so please feel free to email me with your thoughts at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on social media at flywithyourshadow, and on our website you can subscribe at flywithyourshadow.com. I also host a music show called Tell the Band to Go Home, where I play a lot of my favorite singer-songwriters like John Bottomley and Chris Bottomley. You can find out more at tellabandagohome.com, and you can probably find episodes of that show wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join me again next week. A better day will come. A better day.